Yesterday, of course, was, was Halloween. A lot of kids running around your neighborhood dressed up in, in all sorts of costumes. And uh, it, you probably also noticed that through the past week, there have been all sorts of uh, scary movies on television. I mean, some of them are pretty gross. You know, you, you're flipping channels and you see things and it's just like, when is this going to get over with? And and get back to some normalcy. But um, there are some things in life that are a little bit scary. Uh, when I was, well, in our youth group back several years ago, there was a girl that lived right next door to a cemetery. And so after church, sometimes we kind of rotated going to people's houses, and, and we would go to her house, and when it was summertime, uh, we would go 10 o'clock at night, and we'd sit down in the middle of this old cemetery, and we'd tell ghost stories to each other, scare the daylights out of each other. But we would sit there, and, and every little normal thing just took on new meaning. You know, it was, everything was intensified, and we were scared, and, and uh, it was, I guess, spooky. Well, this morning, I want to share with you something that um, really is spooky, comes from the Bible, and if you have your Bible, you might want to open up to 1 Samuel chapter 28, and we have, well, an Old Testament seance in 1 Samuel chapter 28, and what I'd like for us to do, I'll give you a little bit of background to this account, and then we'll go through and make some uh, points from it that I think are a little bit spooky, a little bit scary. To give you a little background, Saul, a few chapters earlier, you remember, was told in 1 Samuel chapter 15 to go utterly destroy the Amalekites. And he went and destroyed them, but not utterly. Uh, He saved some of the animals and brought them back with good intention of sacrificing them to God. And then he didn't kill the king. He brought him back, I suppose, to parade him around as they frequently did. Uh, When a nation would take another nation and a king was captured, he would come back and he would be the prize. You know, they'd have parades and and lead him about and show him off like, you know, it was a humiliating, degrading kind of a thing. And so when Saul saved the king and brought these animals back, as they're coming back home from battle with this victory, Samuel says, what's this bleeding I hear? I shouldn't be hearing this. I hear animals. God said to utterly destroy them. And Saul said, well, we thought that if we would bring this back, we could offer these animals to God as a sacrifice in, in praise to him for giving us the victory over the Amalekites. And, and Samuel made that famous statement, it is better to hearken than to sacrifice. It is better to heed uh, than the fat of rams. So, you know, we need to listen to God. And And obeying God is better than doing religious things. And then he said, and who's this I see standing right here? And he said, well, that's the king. I spared his life. And Samuel actually killed the king right there in his presence and said, you, because you've disobeyed God, your kingdom will be taken away from you. God is through with you as king of Israel. He'll raise up somebody else. And, and of course, we know that he raised up David. Well, it was in this intervening time before David comes to the throne and Saul has lost the presence and the favor of God that Samuel dies 
And now the Philistines are gathered up and they're going to fight the Israelites. And Saul gets all worried. He sees the Philistines there and he wants to talk to Samuel. But Samuel's now deceased and he has no one to talk to. He has tried to to listen and ask the prophets and God has spoken nothing. God is silent. He's not saying anything to Samuel. And so Samuel finally says, all right, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to a witch and I'm going to go to her and see if she can communicate with the dead and call up Samuel so I can ask Samuel what I'm to do. And so Saul goes and he finds a witch of Endor and he says, I need you to bring someone back from the dead. And she said, well, this is highly illegal you, you should know that the king of Israel, she didn't know who Saul was. She said, you should know that the king of Israel has run us out of Dodge anyway, you know, run us out of town. And I don't know that I want to be involved in this. And he said, I promise you, if you will do this, I will not get you in trouble. And so the witch does her thing, whatever it was. And it's apparent that probably what she was involved in was not real, but pretend, just like the fortune tellers and and the palm readers and all those kind of things uh, today, looking in their crystal ball and and how that that even works still today. I mean, people make a living doing that, but it, it's it's all you know bogus. It's all false. But there's indication that she too was false because when Samuel does appear, she screams. You know, it's like uh, this has never happened before. And she cries out and Saul said, well, what's going on? He said, I've conjured up Samuel. And he said, now, what's this guy look like? And she describes him and she and Saul says, well, that is that's Samuel. So Saul talks to Samuel and says, what am I to do? The Philistines are gathered together against me. We're going to have to go battle. You know, is this going to be good, bad? Tell me, I need a word for the Lord or from the Lord. You know, he hasn't told me anything. And Samuel's message to Saul is this. Saul, I thought you would have remembered that God left you back in chapter 15. You know, when you wouldn't utterly destroy the Amalekites, God said, I'm going to take your kingdom from you. And he meant what he said. You're not going to hear from God and you're not going to have a good outcome of this battle. In fact, I'll tell you this, by tomorrow, you'll join me here. Not the kind of message you want from the grave. And Saul falls flat on his face and he won't eat. And they finally persuade him to take something to eat and... And uh, he leaves that place. They engage in battle the next day. The Philistines do uh, prevail over the Israelites. And an archer shoots a, a shot and it hits Saul. He's still alive. And so he asks his armor bearer, finish me off, kill me. Because I don't want to be taken by the enemy. They'll parade me around and make a display and torture me. Just take my life. And the armor bearer would not do it. So Saul then fell on his own sword and uh, finished himself off. And then his armor bearer did the same. Well, that's the story. But I want us to look at a few things that I think are a little bit scary when you stop and think about it from this Old Testament seance. 
And the first thing is this. Once killed and buried, did you know sin can revive? You know, we can make a decision today. I don't want to sin anymore. And I am through with it. It has cost me my family. It's cost me my job. It's cost me my reputation. It's cost me my self-esteem. It's cost me, you know, we can go down the, the list. Sin is costly. And we come to points in our life when we say, man, I'm so disgusted with it and what it's done with me. I don't want to do it anymore. And with full resolve, we say, I'm through. And then two weeks later, we find ourselves right back where we were doing the things that we said we were sick of. Why is that? Why do we do that? Why do we wake up one morning with such resolve and then just a little bit of time later, you know, we're right back doing those things that are wrong. Turn in 1 Samuel chapter 28 and read with me uh, beginning in verse 3. Now Samuel had died and all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah in his own city. And Saul had put the medians, mediums and the spiritists out of the land. You see, he had done the right thing. He had taken these people that were practicing this witchcraft and spiritual stuff, and he had driven them out of the land. we got to get rid of these people. These are not practicing what God wants to be practiced. So, you know, kudos for Paul or or Saul. He's done the right thing. He has driven out... Um, all these uh, people involved in this necromancy. But then what's he do? Even after driving them out, it's he who goes and finds one and consults one. You know, it, it's, like, it's like preaching, let's get rid of alcohol in Glasgow, and, and you're vocal against that, and somebody sees you three weeks later with, at a restaurant drinking. You know, that, that's what it's like. That's what Saul has done here. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6 and verse 8 that when we obey the gospel, when we're baptized into Christ, we die to sin and we're buried and we rise to walk in newness of life. But you know, there are passages in Romans chapter 8 and also uh, Paul said elsewhere how that we, we need to mortify sin and that even after we have mortified it, I mean, puts it to death, after we've put it to death, it will revive. You know, one of those gross movies, The Night of the Living Dead, uh, you've probably seen that. It's an old one. And the thing that, that re- I think about that one is because it was filmed actually in Pittsburgh, and there were a lot of local celebrities that are in that movie, and it always caught my attention because... Here's a newscaster on the news, and he's in this movie, and things like that. And th- these people that were dead come back to life. That's what happens with our sin. We can put it to death, but it revives. And we have to keep killing it over and over again. And if we're not up to that challenge, then it'll overcome us. It'll overtake us. Part of being a Christian is putting to death that old man of sin and keeping him dead. Um, That takes work. And when we stop working at it, then then we find ourselves in trouble. 1 Peter chapter 3 
And verse 20 talks about the Christian who has escaped the pollutions of the world. He's become a child of God. He's saved and sanctified and holy. But then he goes back and practices those sinful things again. And the Bible says, man, the latter end of that person will be worse than the beginning. He even goes so far as to say it would have been better for him to have never known than to, to know and then go back, you know, into that lifestyle. We need, to, we need to understand that we have an ongoing battle. And if we don't fight, we're going to lose. It, it doesn't stop. When you obey the gospel and you're baptized, your sins are forgiven. They've been buried but they'll rise again. And we have to be up to the challenge to kill them, to mortify them over and over again. Once sin is killed, we don't have a free pass. It doesn't work that way. We have to continue to fight and battle. Here's another thing that I think is a little bit scary, and that it's this. God has limits to his patience. I mean, you, you, you can push God so far and then God says, I'm done. You know, God is always a, a person who, or, or a God who is forgiving and so forth. But there are times when God forces us to face the consequences of our sin. And such is the case here in, in 1 Samuel chapter 28 and verse 6. The Bible says, when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him. Um, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. God wouldn't answer. Saul's down there saying, please, Lord, tell me what to do. Tell me. And God said, no, I'm not going to. Now, why not? I thought God loves us. I thought God wants, well, you know, he does love us. But sometimes love is tough love. Sometimes you love a person by saying no. Sometimes you help a person by making them face up to their own responsibility and consequences. Listen, we got people that come by this building nearly every day of the week, and they want a free handouts. And you know, I think we should always help everyone. But helping people doesn't mean you give them what they're asking for. Sometimes you help people by saying no You need to get a job and support your family like the Bible tells you to. You need to quit being lazy and provide for your own. Um, You know, always help. But help doesn't always come in the form you want. And Saul is wanting God to speak to him. And God says, I'm not going to do it. I won't. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1 and verse 24, well, verse 24, verse 26, and verse 28... The children of God, well, the Gentiles in particular in this passage, were guilty of all sorts of sin. They had denied the Creator. They they knew He was there, but they they didn't want to acknowledge Him. And so God said, gave them up. Uh, You know, I gave up on them. I just went ahead and let them do what they wanted to do. And I I turned them over to themselves. And and now they're going to suffer at their own hands. And isn't that what happens? I mean, you see people and they they live a life of rebellion against God. And they start doing all these things that they think are going to be fun. And they lead to their ruin. Their life is a mess. 
And it won't be long till they're looking for somebody to help them and to get their life straightened out because that path that they thought was going to be great ends up in just ruining everything about their life. And God said, that's what, you know, you won't listen to me. You won't acknowledge me. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to sit back here and I'm going to give up on you. I'm going to give you up to whatever you want to do. And you go right ahead and have at it. And you'll suffer at your own hands. And maybe then you'll realize it's time to come back home. Well, that's what God has done. And uh, Amos chapter 8 tells us, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor of want of water, but of hearing the word of the Lord. God said on, in the days of Amos, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. I'm going to let there be a famine in the land, a famine of my word, my direction, and maybe that will cause your hearts to change. That is a scary proposition, that I might be so hardened by sin and so deliberate in my sin and so callous that God looks at me and says, you know what, Steve, I'm through with you for a while. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to answer your prayers. I'm going to let you go your way until you bottom out so that you can learn a lesson. Will God do that? That's exactly what he did in Romans 1 and also here in 1 Samuel with King Saul. Here's another thing that I think is a little bit scary. And, well, it depends on where you're coming from. But God means what he says. That should be scary to some folks. Now, to others, it should um, give them confidence. But God means what he says. When he finally contacts Samuel, listen to what Samuel said, beginning in verse 15. Now, Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed for the Philistines make war against me and God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by the prophet or by dreams. Therefore, I've called you that you should reveal to me what I should do. And Samuel said, so why do you ask me? Seeing that the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy and the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Samuel says, Saul, why are you doing this? Why are you asking me? God, yeah, you're right. He has departed from you. And you know what he's done? He's done exactly what he told you he would do. He has taken, has torn the kingdom out of your hand. God keeps his word. He doesn't... You, well, I've told you this before, but one time I got in trouble at a place. We had gone to church, and I was a little boy, and I got, you know, in trouble at church. And my mom leaned over and said, when we get home, I'm going to give you a whipping. Well, boy, that worried me to death. You know, I, from that time on, I was the best little boy you couldn't imagine. I engaged them in, in conversation and just was the most pleasant boy on the ride home. But you know what happened? As soon as we got to the door, my mom went to the closet and got that paddle. I thought surely they couldn't spank somebody as precious as me. You know, I had, I had talked to them and, and tried to, you know, just ease in real nice. No, I still got it. They meant what they said. 
And Saul is several chapters away from a grievous mistake, a sin of rebellion. And God said, because of that, I'm going to take your kingdom. I'm through with you as king. And he can't make up for that. He's not going to be able to change. God means what he said. And Samuel said, why have you bothered me? God's just doing what he told you he would do. God keeps his word. The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 24, he who calls you is faithful and he will do it. You know, if there's something God says he'll do, he will do it. That can be scary, especially if I'm living a life of, well, maybe it's not just out-and-out rebellion, but I harbor some pet sins that I won't come clean with. I continue to practice them. I, I, I do it secretly so that no one knows. And I think, well, you know, the majority of my life is all right. It's just this one or two things well, what did God say about those one or two things? Do you think that'll change God's mind? Do you think he won't do what he said he would do by sin? God keeps his word. And then finally, this had to have been a little scary. This Samuel shared Saul's fate with him ahead of time. Saul's fate was revealed to him before he ever experienced it. I don't know if you've ever given much thought to that, but that is a scary proposition. You know, we, we can grow sick, and, and we all, whether we grow sick or not, we all know that inevitably we're all going to die. We, we know that will be our end unless the Lord comes again. So, you know, there's, there's that knowledge of that, but there comes a time... When, you know, this isn't, this is out of the ordinary. Because this man says to Saul, tomorrow you're dead and you're coming to where I am. Um, What would that have made you felt like? Wonder if Saul got any sleep that night knowing what the prophet of God had said to him. That's a scary proposition. When you stare death in the face. Hebrews chapter, and that 7 did not get on there for some reason or got deleted, but it's Hebrews 9 and verse 27. For it is appointed unto a man once to die, and after that the judgment. We're all going to die, and when we do, we're going to be judged. Saul was told, tomorrow you're dead. What would you do if you knew in advance that tomorrow was your last day. I mean, Saul is being told by the prophet of God in a miraculous way, tomorrow is your last day on this earth. How would you spend that last day? I wonder what Saul did through the night hours. The Bible doesn't tell us. I, I doubt if I would get much sleep. I figure I'd do a lot of praying. And I'd spend time with some people that... that I'm friends with and people that I love, and and I'd probably try to mend some fences with some other folks. What would you do if you knew that tomorrow was your last day? Well, let me me put it this way. What would you do if you knew that at 2 o'clock this afternoon, your time here on earth is done? 
And here you are, you're sitting in a church service. You've got a couple hours. What would you do? We're going to sing a song of encouragement, an invitation song in just a little bit. And it is an invitation for you to turn from sin, turn to Jesus and ask his forgiveness. It's an opportunity for you to pass from death to life, to to stop being a part of the kingdom of the world and to gain access into the kingdom of God. I wonder how many people would respond to the invitation this morning, really. How many would respond if they knew for certain 2 o'clock this afternoon is, is the time? I would say we would be here till 2 o'clock taking care of business. See, it's a scary proposition to know when you're going to die because you want to be right with God. Well, maybe we'll close with just this thought. Maybe it's more scary not to know because it might be five minutes from now. That thing that you've been putting off and meaning to get taken care of but haven't done it yet, those people that you've intended to talk to and say you're sorry but haven't done it yet, those, those sins that you've committed and you need to confess but haven't done it yet, what if you didn't have time? What if you waited too long? What if you waited so long that God says, you know what, I give give up on them. Um, I, I give them up to their way of life. Now those are some scary propositions. I would encourage you this morning to take what we've talked about this morning and make application to your own life. Listen, from time to time we all sin. And fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3. But the, the key and the difference between the, the, the person who's going to heaven and the one who isn't is that the person who goes to heaven, well, when they sin, they're sorry. And they confess it. And they're humble enough to say, I blew it. If you're here this morning and you know there's something that's not right in your life, you know that you need to act in faith and be baptized, repenting of your sins. Maybe you know that even though you've done those things, you haven't been faithful like you should be and there are things that you just need to make right. Maybe you haven't been putting to death again those old sins, those old deeds. and Maybe it's time to bury those, those things again. If you need to respond to the invitation, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing.